welcome to the next episode of 10 Questions. This is Stinker, and on the other end with me, I've got uh, live from his hotel room, Stu, otherwise known as Cybersex Stu. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Uh, very, very uh, privileged to be here on a uh, Valentine's Day for me, I guess. So, yeah. yeah. It's a romantic podcast there. <laughs> What everybody doesn't know is that I I already found a way to send him roses and chocolate, so he's enjoying those right now. <laughs> um, well, now and uh, you know, one of the things that I I do like to uh, point out for some some of my uh, guests I'm getting to right now is while we're recording this in the middle of February in the year 2020. This actually will be a podcast that will drop in the year 2021. We're talking in the future. There you go. We are talking in the future, and I, I will probably, uh, I'll probably have a, a question or two that's uh, that's asking you to predict the future during the course of the conversation. Excellent! I can't wait. I, 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 I always believe that those um, those those kind of predictions. Um, uh, are always very interesting. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll do my best, and and if if this doesn't age well, then then uh, clearly I'm not Nostradamus. So there you go. So all right, well um, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, and start with the first question. I've actually I've actually been starting with most people uh, with this question. Um, what what was it that originally got you into technology work in the first place? Uh, work or technology? Mm-hmm. The the actual the the actual working in in infosec and technology. Well, it's just technology in general, or or even better, what what uh what what got you interested in technology before you even started working? In, yeah. In... Okay. So, yeah, that, that's a good question. Um. So so for me, uh, I have always been a, a bit of a geek. Um. Uh, probably more, more aptly, probably more of a nerd than a geek, possibly. Geeks are quite cool, I guess. Um, so uh, I, I first started off with uh, when I was I don't know, nine years old. Uh, for my birthday, my parents got me a Spectrum ZX, uh, and even had a Spectrum ZX with the light gun as well. That was awesome. Um, so I, I really started off with that was my kind of first foray into technology. Um, I did. You know, really try and push the boundaries, even at that age, trying to understand how it worked. Um, not like some people I've interviewed before. I didn't really take it apart, but I did try and look at, you know, how how the games were put together, and I tried to understand a bit a bit more than just playing the games and using it. So I did actually actually got given a, a sort of basic programming book with my Spectrum as well, because my parents at the time said, look, learn how it how it works. They were quite forward thinking in that sense. Um, and so I did, um, and then I guess really from there, uh, when other people were playing football or soccer, as you call it in America, uh, I was I was the person at school that was always in the computer room doing stuff, um, mainly playing uh, Wolfenstein, which actually thinking back is probably probably not that PC, but they uh, play Wolfenstein and uh, Doom, or uh, actually learning sort of HTML and stuff like that. So. Um, or making videos and things like that. So, and it, we're talking, you know, we're talking 1990 something. Trying to not date myself too much. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, that's how it all started. 
And then uh, for, for people who probably follow me on Twitter, they know that um, I actually also am a bit of an artist as well. So through my kind of kind of like school, I really heavily focused on the art, had an interest in technology, but kind of took the art route through my sort of university. So I have a, a, a kind of background and I studied at university uh, ceramics, which is pottery. So yes, um, it's an interesting route, I guess you could say. And then when I left university, I kind of thought, I'm not really, um, not really into like the pottery thing anymore. I kind of did it. It was really interesting. And I, I, I saw what my kind of peers were doing uh, as their careers and thought, I don't really want to work and make pots for a living or sculpture is what I did. But um, I thought there wasn't really much of a living there. And I looked at my student debt and said, well, I'm going to have that forever if I do this. Um, so I kind of um, headed to London. And when I was at university as well, I actually spent, again, a lot of time in the computer rooms and we actually built labs. And so I kind of did a lot of technology stuff as well. And, and I tried to bring technology actually into my, my pottery work as well, my artwork. So there was always an interest that kind of came back into my um, into my work. So that kind of led me to doing something in technology, but I, I didn't have like the degree. So and the opportunities at that point where you'd have a, a technical degree, you'd have to have like some technical qualifications even back then to work in IT. Um, so I actually ended up working in recruitment of all places. And um, just by just by luck or chance, I was given the opportunity at this one company where they were just starting out and said, look, we're a te technology recruitment company. Um, you know, what area do you want to work in? They gave me like software or telecoms and, and, and then they gave me IT security as it was called back then and said, I said, I looked at the industry and thought, this sounds really interesting. And so I'm going to do that. So I actually went on a couple of technical courses because I wanted to learn about it. So I was put on a, a few couple of networking courses and, and that talked about security. So I looked about the OSI model, all this kind of stuff. And, and then I just started speaking to people in the industry and really learning about it. And and this is when, like, um, it was it, it, IT security was all, and especially on the vendor side, was all about who's got the biggest, best firewall, who can detect the most malware or... You know that kind of um, kind of arms race, I guess you can call it. For you know, we've got you know five AV engines in our firewall now, so we can do all this great stuff in our IDS engines and all this kind of stuff. And it was kind of really interesting. Uh, and then I got headhunted sort of many years later by one of my clients to say, "Hey, do you fancy coming doing uh, some work? You seem to understand what you're talking about. Um, do you fancy working on the commercial side with us for a bit?" And I did, and I did that for a bit. And then when in, in one of those consultancy jobs, it was a pen testing company um, called Pentura, which were bought by a US company not many years later. And I actually was then invited to do some social engineering. And, and, and this is kind of where it all really started because um, they wanted someone to do telephone social engineering. And, and I'd kind of done that pretty much through my whole recruitment career where I'd actually call up a company uh, pretending to be another company uh, either, you know, and actually basically profile the entire business. So speak to someone and actually uh, sort of understand the makeup of the company, what technology they use, and really profile them. So when I'd come speak to the real company many weeks later, I'd have like a massive dossier and know the exact org chart of the business, what technology they use, um, what kind of people they would need based upon the fact I knew their tech stack, and not really realizing at the time that that was social engineering, but it was all part of what we did, and we were very good at that kind of um, element of it. So when I was asked to do telephone social engineering, uh, my first gig was um, a... Uh, an Irish bank and um, I can't do Irish accents and I won't I, I keep talking about this but I, I'm terrible at Irish accents but somehow I managed to call up from someone in their IT department with this really bad 
Irish accent and managed to get people to give me their usernames and passwords over the phone um, with the worst Irish accent you've ever heard. 26, my first ever social engineering call, I got 26 usernames and passwords over the phone. And wow. the, um, the the head of IT was sitting next to me uh, in one of the calls because I was actually doing on fire as well. Uh, and he uh, he just said, how did you even get it with that dodgy accent? And I said, I don't know, but confidence and 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 a bit of bit of charm goes a long way. And so that's kind of how I then, uh, when I left that company, I then uh, moved to uh, where I am now, really. And uh, I've pretty much built my career around social engineering, but then I've moved into instant response. I do a lot of training. Uh, I do um, some some red teaming, but really my kind of focus is on the instant response, the training, and uh, and social engineering, uh, threat modeling, kind of uh, OSINT as well, which I'll talk a bit about later. So that's kind of how it all started in a really whirlwind tour. Uh, and, and I really haven't really looked back to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm learning new stuff every day. Um, I, I most certainly don't know everything and, and I don't think anyone does, but that, you know, I, I really kind of pride myself on if I don't know something, I'll go away and, and, and learn it and, and kind of try and find and understand things and work work out how things work. And, and so, yeah, I really push myself quite hard in, in many areas. Okay, okay. Um, this is, this is going to be, it may seem a little bit of a random of a side question here, um, yep. but especially whenever you're talking about accents. Um, I, I I won't ask specifics because I do, I do try to intentionally stay away from uh, opposite questions. But uh, are you originally from uh, the southern part of England or the northern part? Uh, oh uh, well, that's that's an opposite fail question. But uh, to be honest, uh, originally I will I will say this because I actually am from originally the south of England, but okay. I also spent quite a lot of time uh, in my younger years um, when I was actually maybe 11 or 12 it's up north as well for a bit so i've done both um, okay so so i have a very neutral uh english accent uh so i can i can do the the whole kind of southwestern south southwestern accent and i can obviously do the i can't really do the northern accent but i i can kind of slightly change my accent a little bit but i'm terrible at accents so that's why i keep it quite neutral so no one really questions where i'm from Okay. I'll, after we get done recording, I'll uh, I'll I'll go in even why I ask that. But uh, I, I I was curious on that. Um, uh, well, and I I got to ask since the Irish accent was so dodgy, are are you willing to give me give me a sentence in that Irish accent? Um, no, because I can't. Oh, it's a great a great. Thing. I'll try. I mean, this is going to be so cringy. Hang on. No, actually, no, I won't. Cause I'll tell you what, I'll do it at the end um, because it, it'll be so bad and then you can just edit it out. <laughs> uh, who, who, who knows? I did it once on a podcast and I just, I, I got a, a cringe when I heard it back. And it's so, it's so bad. Um, no. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Who knows? Maybe it, it may be podcasting gold. You never know. Uh, oh, God, here we go. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, it's, uh, uh, the, the, only, the, the reason I even bring that up too is because uh, it's because it's uh, you know one of uh, I'm I'm a bit of a pro wrestling fan and I'll, you know one of my uh, favorite uh, yeah, favorite wrestlers is uh, Fergal Devitt mm, mm. and so and so there was 
uh, several times that I uh, that I uh, listened uh, to him talking, and I and because I tend to be a little uh, you know a little uh, subject to power of suggestion whenever it comes to accents, there would be sometimes I'd actually find myself talking with an Irish brogue for like two or three days, and it, it, and it would be hard for me to clear it up. Yeah, I I I. I... Went through a period where I was really good at mimicking accents, and then I just kind of thought, uh, well, there's a funny story behind this, right? So I, I used to have a really, really strong um, southwestern accent, right? So you can, if if you if I've had a few beers, um, I will default back to a slight, a slight southwestern accent, right? So some of the words I'll say will be like, are the R's, the R's are there, um, <laughs> so. Uh, now I've I've managed to train myself to drop that accent and make it neutral. So it took a little while, and it naturally kind of happened as well. I think you, I think people naturally, if they're if they're um, if they've gone from one country to another, they'll pick up local local languages because you're you're kind of subjected to that subconsciously that you kind of adjust um, to, to to kind of match your surroundings to some degree. So oh, you pick absolutely. up some localisms, you pick up. Some localized languages you pick up you know you pick up mannerisms um because we are social creatures ultimately and 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 by that we will kind of try and mimic what we what what we perceive to be outwardly acceptable so yeah you will kind of pick up some of those things um uh, especially if you want to project that as well if that makes sense oh yeah yeah absolutely uh there, there was a there was one job i had uh at, for about three years that i was working on uh working on an indian reservation and um and uh i by, by the end of the time there um you know i was even getting told by people uh that uh it, that were non-native and I was running to off reservation that I, I was, uh, I, I was talking in that same, in that same, uh, uh, pigeon English that, that you'll hear, uh, native Americans talking, you'll hear, uh, uh, you know, uh, Polynesian, uh, 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 Polynesian people talking that same, uh, particular way that English is broken. Uh, some, you, you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, so yeah, about about three years through that, whenever time came to left and and uh, move on to another job, I was I, I was talking talking in that pigeon deep enough where people were really really noticing. It's just like, well, I mean, that's what I'm around all day. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that absolutely happens. Absolutely. That's that kind um, of a skill, though, right? I think in some respects as well. If you can, some people are really good at accents. I'm, I, I am. I'll be first to admit, I, I, terrible at accents. Um, I do a terrible Scottish accent. I do a terrible, uh, a terrible. If I'm put on the spot, if probably if I'm not put on the spot, it's probably slightly better. I think anyone put on the spot is quite bad, but uh, yeah, I, I'm terrible at accents. But like when it comes to like building like rapport or engaging or body language kind of stuff, um, uh, and kind of getting kind of into someone's sort of psyche if that makes sense I'm pretty good yeah. at that but if you ask me to do like an accent i generally will go because oh, it's so bad <laughs> yeah i i can't i can't say that i'm that i'm necessarily really good at doing convincing accents but um and this is the this word said you know we can talk more after we get done recording but um yeah, but uh, I am pretty good at identifying them. 
that's, um, that's, that's good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, well, I'll, I'll dip back out of that. We, uh, that was side question to official question number one, and I looked up, and uh, the recording's already been going for 16 minutes, and we've only gotten through one question. Right. Uh, I, I'm great at kind of these kind of things, so they just expand out. Um, oh, so no, no. They, I, they, I, I it's... Most of my answers, there you go, as it's said. Oh no 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 you, you no but, but by all means no I I enjoy hearing the stories and that's the whole reason that I, that I like doing this podcast is I I, I like I, I like you know, picking up new stories you know that's that, that that's how I I learn about people that's how I get to know them and uh, you know so far everybody that's uh, been given any feedback on these uh, they're saying that that's entirely the reason that they're uh, enjoying this so much. So how just while I'm I'm getting back into my podcasting role now, but how how did you come about this though? So what what made you decide I want to do a podcast? It was it was literally I had a wild hair idea one day, and I posted on my Twitter account uh, it to ask what people thought, and I got relatively positive feedback on the idea, and so I I literally just like okay let's do it. And started. <laughs> that's the best way to do it, right? Just, just to, just if you've got an idea, just go with it. Then that's kind of yeah. how. My, mine was a, uh, like I've got a community, and I think we just need to like do something a bit different to bring people together. And I thought, well, why don't we bring guests into our community, and interview them live, in front of a, in front of our community, and they can ask questions, obviously, in text chat, and that kind of it kind of just works, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's it, and I think I, I commend you for doing this because it's, uh, it's, it's not easy doing podcasting. Um, it's, it's, it's time consuming. It's good time consuming. It's good use of time, but finding guests and, and getting them, you know, organizing uh, slots and working around people's diaries is actually quite hard. It's, it's like a job in itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. Um, all right, let's uh, let's jump into question number two. Um, see, and that, now I got off track in my head. <laughs> Sorry. I, I say, no, no, that, that that's that, that's okay. I mean, I, I I whenever I started doing these, I I would uh, write out all the questions ahead of time, and then. Uh, you know, I didn't end up having the time to write them out uh, for one, and it ended up going okay. And so I've decided to fly by the seat of my pants. Um, and uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> uh, but thank goodness for post-editing if it's too horrible. Um, well... You know, you know what? This is the the first time that I've uh, first time in a long time I've gotten to speak to somebody from a country that rugby is a big thing. So I've got to ask: Are yep. you a fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big fan of rugby. Yeah. Rugby union, or rugby league. Uh, I like rugby union, um, okay. but also um, I've got a a, a good team. Uh, without doxing myself um, near me um, that that do quite well and uh, are not too far away so they're they're pretty good um, but if I was to choose between rugby league and rugby union um, I, I would always go rugby union so six nations are on at the moment so 
Um, it's always a good time. Yeah, I, I I knew that I knew that was on. Um, who, who's a uh, who's leading the table right now? Uh, do you know what? Uh, I'd need to check because I missed the game on Sunday, but I probably so I can check now if you want. Do a little cheat. Uh, yeah, I, about the only about the only way I can uh, watch is if I, uh, I I don't readily have access to the schedule. I have to go looking for it, and uh, then I have to connect VPN to be able to pull it up. Because it's uh, Six Nations, it's on um, the uh, NBC Sports Gold uh, um, service in the states, yeah. and I have to I would have to pay like. Uh, like thirty-five, forty dollars a month for that service. I can pay a fraction of that for a VPN, and I can watch it, and I can watch it free. Yeah, I was going to say it's just VPN, VPN yeah. that all the way, right? Um, uh, so it's actually between France and, and Ireland. Um, so I, I'd, I'd have, if I was a betting man, seeing how Ireland played their last game, I would, I would say, I'd put my money in Ireland this year. Um, so. Yeah. Well, you, you know what? There, there, there you go. There, there's there's your first first future prediction question. Is is who do you think will end up winning the 2026 Nations? Uh, okay. First prediction, I'd say Ireland. I'd like, to, I, of course, I'd like to say with with my dodgy. I'd like to say it's Ireland, but uh, yeah, there you go. That's my slight dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, I'd love I'd love England to win, but the way they played, sadly. Um, uh, recently, when they lost, um, I, I can't see can't see them winning. So it'll be it'll be Ireland. I, I think they'll be France, even though France are playing also pretty well as well. So yeah, yeah. I and I, whenever I pulled at the table in front of me, I, I was sad to see that that uh, Wales already had one loss. But uh, th- then again, they they, they uh, lost their coach. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. so uh, you know th- that may be a little rebuilding going on with them. Um, so. Okay, well, gutted that England didn't win the uh, the the World Cup. They played so spectacularly well against New Zealand. Oh like, yeah, that was like the, the game of their life. The game. I mean, I watched that game, and I I, I love like the Rugby World Cup. It's amazing. I, I'll literally watch every, every game I can. But for me, that was that was phenomenal. And and, and also my you know I take my son uh, to play rugby every weekend. So he plays for a local team, and and he's he's been playing rugby since he's five. So. So he goes, he goes out, starting off touch rugby. Now they're on full contact um, and they're not doing scrums yet, but they're doing like line outs and stuff like that. So they, every season they add another element into it. So it's quite nice to watch the progression. First you do tag rugby. So you learn about, you know, putting off the tags for tackles. So you learn about tackling and ball play. The next time you, the next two, you do two seasons of tag rugby. Then you do the contacts. It's their first season of contact. Next season's then going to be more things like scrums and things like this. So it's really it's really interesting to see that kind of progression. I, I actually quite enjoy it, to be honest. But I'm sure yeah, your listeners yeah. want to hear me talk about rugby when they're here to talk about it. listen about infosec fully. Oh no, no, this this is the type of stuff I've been doing with everybody. I, I I've been diving into some some infosec stuff, but definitely some not. Um, you know, and. It, it, I, 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 I'm going to ask you about rugby because I, th- I think more people in the state should should get into the sport. You know, Mo- most of them, if I, you know, they they don't want to listen to anything about it. But if they were actually open to it, they'd realize that they'd actually understand the sport pretty quickly if they just tried. 
Yeah. You know? it, it's, it's a great sport. It's different, the thing about it is as well, so if you compare it to American football, right, which um, which also, by the way, I really enjoy watching. And actually, there's a massive following of American football out here because you've got um, – oh, I can't remember which name of the team it is. There's a team that comes and plays over here um, in the UK um, quite a lot as well. But um, So we have, like, in, in Wembley Stadium, they, they play – or Twickenham, they play as well. Um, uh, for American football, so there's like t- three games a season. I think they play over here. I'd like yeah. to say it's the Broncos. I think it's the Broncos. It could be. I don't know. Um, but but the thing is, you know, so you watch American football games, which again very entertaining. But the difference is that you know, there's with rugby really, it's there's there's no armor, as I call it, um, and the tackling can be sometimes quite as, quite as vicious. But there's no armor, right? There's there's no protection. Um, well, uh, but it's been, been in the same vein, though. The game of rugby has actually addressed a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the uh, injury laden yeah. part of it, where it, where uh, American football is trying to, but it just seems like they're spectacularly failing at times. Yeah, I, I think it's also because because you're because you there isn't like a you know, difference between rugby, I guess, and American football is that. Rugby, you can only tackle, you know, below the below the, well, the waist, really, and the, the midriff, um, and you know that means that you're never really going to get too much head damage, but you still get head damage from people being studded, um, stamped on, stuff like that. It just just happens, right, when you've got people piling into each other. But yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. I think there are less there are less head injuries or or concussion type injuries than you'd get in American football. But yeah, I, I, if anyone's listening to this um, in in 2021. And they want to take a look at rugby. Recommend it. It's a good game, gentleman's sport, really. Um, and uh, and of course, you know, you can only throw the ball backwards, which always confuses a lot of people. Um, you can kick the ball forwards, but you can only pass the ball backwards if you're running with it. So there's there's a there's a bit of fun fact about rugby. Yeah. Well, it is, and a lot of people don't realize that that American football basically was rugby at one point. You know, the, mm. it, it it was. It was uh, in the, I think it was in the 60s maybe, where where the NFL finally said, okay, yeah, we can have forward passes now. Mm. So uh, I'll have to go back and look and see if I'm even right on that. But I, I do know that for a period of time, the NFL didn't allow any forward passes. Um, so I didn't uh, know that. That's actually fascinating. So, well, yeah. and, and also, too, the goalposts in American football, with them being lined up with the end line, uh, did you realize that the goalpost actually used to be at the at the touchline? I did not know or that. The, no. Or the or the goal line actually? Yeah, that, that's that, that's that's all the the rugby connection because it, it originally was rugby because um, you know because because uh, back uh, before uh, any you know coalesced central body came around either American football or rugby. Um, you know, ga- games were basically played according to the rules that the home team said they were going to be played by, right? And so, and so that, you know, that that came across into the states, and they were and they were playing uh, the same type of game, um, but uh, but uh, there were you know there there was a season where it just got out of hand there was just too much violence and apparently there was two or three people that even died middle of a game which ended up leading to uh the federal government here uh, inserting themselves in wow. the situation and uh, and eventually that's uh, the, the NFL was formed out of that uh, out of that whole ordeal 
but yeah, they it, it was it was basically rugby. They played with a rugby ball and everything. And the 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 ball for American football now it's just it's morphed over the years. Mm-hmm. So I do it, like it's, the feel of American football though. There's something the rugby ball's great, but there's something about American football. It's it's got a good feel to it, right? Okay, okay. Um, well, before we move on from yeah, from sports, I I, I got to ask, what do you think about cricket? Ah, oh, gonna you, 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 how long have you got? Because yeah, uh, <laughs> you, you got me on a subject which I well, okay. So so I think a lot of people. So a lot of people like twenty twenty because it's short and um, uh, to give give people sort of a, a, who haven't never heard of or or watch cricket. There's there's kind of two types. The three types of cricket really. There's twenty twenty, which is a short like twenty overs, which means you know. Um, you get eight balls and over, so basically it's what fifty balls, whatever it may be, right? So, and you get you get like that many balls, and uh, it's a short game, high intensity, usually played in the evening, or um, and and it's it's intense and it's people slogging a ball out, you know, as many runs they can get, the highest highest most runs wins, right? A bit like baseball, but obviously a bit more sort of complicated, um, and complicated yeah, it is because there's so many different rules to cricket um and so then you've got day you know day matches which are great so one days which again similar sort of similar sort of row uh, sorry i said 20 should be 20 overs not um not 50 overs and 50 overs is usually a, a day um uh, cricket and then you've also got test match which is basically five days of cricket which is what i prefer because i prefer the test match because if you go to a test match um it's a lot longer slower paced generally each side gets like two two goes two innings and it's more the cricket is more about a day out and experience as opposed to you to go there to watch the cricket it's at a slower pace you can enjoy some beers the crowds the banter in the crowds is usually very good it's a relaxing day out uh, or five days um and so that's the kind of bit i like about cricket or if you're at home and there's a test match on. You can have it on in the background. It's it's a it's a kind of background sport. You can sit there and watch the cricket, but you're not going to sit there all day long while they're playing. You're going to have it on in the background. You're going to be doing other things. That's the kind of nice thing about cricket in some respects when it's being played over five days. Um, it's almost a bit like golf in that sense. You know, when you have um, when you have like uh, like the uh, the PGA tour and stuff like that, you have it on in the background. It's nice to have on if you watch golf and stuff like that. Um, it's kind of nice to have on in the background and, and then when it gets towards the end it gets quite exciting so um i do like cricket um but it's a it's it's a kind of on and off thing if that makes sense i don't go out my way to watch all the test matches but if there's like something like the ashes which is obviously between australia and england which is a rivalry dating back like 100 years or something like that now um then it's, it's definitely worth it yeah i well i i the reason i ask is because uh it kind of in the same way whenever i originally picked up rugby i i uh, guess i started paying attention a little bit to uh cricket whenever the black caps were doing so good the past couple of years and um i i haven't decided whether i like it yet or not but i'm intrigued and i am learning more about it so you know, it's it's interesting to to uh, be able to hear a hear a take from somebody that's aware of the game and knows about the game. <laughs> yeah, there's there's lots of different. Uh, the thing about cricket is that it's, it's a sport that is um, incredibly technical, right? So. Um,
is you'll use the and usually it's, it's all about strategy right so you'll use your fast bowlers first to kind of work the ball and you want to get lots of dents and stuff in the ball then what and depending on the ground as well so if the ground if it's, if it's quite a quite a dry uh, day there'll be lots of dust and stuff so therefore you might want to use your fast bowlers to kind of get the ball work the ball quicker and then you want to use your spin bowlers or medium fast spin bowlers to then actually then when the ball hits the ground it spins and then takes your wickets out or they'll hit the ball and then it'll, they'll get a catch and it's usually they'll slice it or get caught behind or get caught by the leg whatever it may be um and, and so actually it's i guess in some respects a bit like a bit like baseball in terms of the technicality of the of the pitchers um and, and i'm not going to try and uh, uh, say i know that much about baseball except i watched a couple of games when i was in the us recently um uh, a while back um again in the background and I, I find baseball from my perspective having never really experienced it also quite fascinating as well but yeah cricket's a cricket's a game um, that you can have one in the background, I guess, is my ex- explanation of it, really, in, in, without going into too much detail. So. Okay, okay. Um, I'll dip into question three. In, in, in question three, I, I, I will say, uh, you, you by, by all means, you can limit this to one or two sentences because I don't... It, it, this is not a type of question I normally ask, but I've, I've also been talking to people in the States and not in the UK. Okay. Uh, so, what is what's your condensed opinion on on the fact that uh, Brexit has occurred? <laughs> oh, you've dropped the B bomb! Oh god, and you and you want me to condense that? Uh, okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you my um, I'll give you my opinion on it. Right. So, uh, and this is this is an opinion which which I, I'm I've may have mentioned on Twitter a few times. Um, Brexit's that really weird thing that 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 we asked the we asked the British people the government asked the British people to vote on something they didn't really fully understand. So it's like saying, um, "Here's this really obscure question, but we want you to provide an answer without actually telling you what the question actually means." Right. And, and and so people voted on the fact that for very various personal political reasons, like it's going to solve immigration issues, or it's going to solve our financial issues, or the fishermen voted on it because they're going to get control of the seas again, so therefore they can they can fish for more, you know, don't have European quotas, or people voting on it because of the European Court of Human Rights making decisions that certain people can't be deported because they're human rights, or whatever it may be, and all that good stuff that the EU does, actually, by the way, and I'm actually for this, right? Um, but a lot of people have been quite against it. Um, and so the, the thing for me is the most Google search after Brexit was, what is Brexit, right? And, and you kind of go... Yeah. Okay. This this kind of didn't really work, and the percentage was like two or three percent in it. Right. So you're talking about um, the will of the people when like fifty four percent or fifty three point three whatever percent of it it was that actually voted voted for this to happen. But there's still forty odd percent of people, right, or fifty whatever it may be, right, of people that basically said no, we don't want this, right, and so. I think it's 56% or whatever it is, people wanted it, whatever it may be, right? So the point is that lots of people voted for this, didn't really know what they were voting for. So um, the government decided to push ahead through and do this, right? And then, of course, the whole point is that if they'd had a referendum again, if they'd had a referendum again, I would probably say that the majority of people go, 
this is just too much hassle. Let's just keep it as it is. But we're, we're now down the road and now we're in Brexit mode. So we've actually technically left the European Union, but we haven't technically we, we haven't technically exited it yet because we still don't have a, we're in this period of transition. So we haven't got a trade agreement. So the whole next 12 months, it's us going, we're going to go and create a trade agreement with Europe, which took Canada like 10 years or something like that. Okay. It's just a massive dumpster fire that is going to turn into multiple dumpster fires and we'll probably end up back in the dark ages again or something like that. Uh, uh, it's it's so crazy. And I just, I just sit here going, oh, I've got my passport, but I technically for the next like nine months or so i can travel in europe i feel really good about that and i do a lot of european travel but now i'm gonna to have to go in the other queue um which is usually the biggest queue which is the non-european uh citizen queue um along with a lot of other people that were not in that queue before so I, i'm not really seeing the benefit here I, I i'm trying to look for the benefits um boris johnson who um some people throughout my entire life since Boris became a thing, I've told me I look a little bit like. Um, uh, slightly more handsome though, uh, and uh, <laughs> and he's. Uh, I can't really can't really say this in the easiest way, but when he was doing the campaign for for leaving, there was supposed to be like two hundred and fifty million dollars, like pounds or whatever it may be, uh, a, a week or something, a month or something that we'd be better off and that can go into NHS. That was all based on a lie. We can even talk about Cambridge Analytica if you really want to, because that was a massive campaign against it. We could go down different rabbit holes, but you said short, concise. So my actual short and concise answer is it's a complete dumpster fire, um, and uh, we're all having to live with it, and no one really wants it, but no one really wants to say they don't want it because no one actually knows what it was. And now we all know what it is, and so we've just got to deal with whatever... It, the future looks like, but I don't imagine it's it's going to be a good future. But we, in twenty twenty one, when people are listening to this, they'll probably sit back and go, "Gosh, this sounds terrible." I'm sure it's lovely now. I can tell you, in twenty twenty one, it's probably not. So, oh, okay. Well, here, here's another future prediction question. Here, um, obviously, with the fact that uh, that uh, Brexit kept on getting extensions and everything, um, do you think that that uh, they'll be able to actually close all the negotiations for the for the trade agreements and everything by the end of the year, like was promised. <laughs> no. No. Okay. No. That's that, 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 that's that, <laughs> no. At the end of the decade, I'd be like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay. And, and then one more one more question, and I promise I will get off politics. That's fine. Um, so, uh, it's, so I, I was one of those one of those uh, few people in the states that was actually watch, watching watching uh, the uh, snap election with uh, intrigue and interest. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm I'm curious for, from your point of view. Um, did it, did the Tories win that massive of a of an advantage in Parliament? Because they won, or because Labour dropped the ball? Well, that's a really good question. Um, so, so I think I think it's it's a it's a bit of bit of both, really, right? So, um, I think that that Boris was was convincing, 
um, and he was very convincing that he had a plan, right? So you've got one party that's got a defined plan that we, we leave, right? Come what may, I'd rather die in a ditch, all that kind of stuff, right? Than, than you know, not leave the EU, whatever it may be that Boris was saying, right? Which I think is a crazy kind of statement, but um, he had conviction, right? And and he had a plan, and you knew what you were voting for, right? So clear, concise, you know what you're getting to. Jeremy Corbyn was like, well, we, you know, we might do this or we, we will come up with a plan once you vote for us. And yeah, we might do a referendum. We might not do a referendum. We don't really know. We're not really leave or remain. We're, we're bringing the country together. Um, and this was this was very decisively a Brexit vote. Right? This was a this was this was a vote for the party. Are we going to renegotiate and 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 back out of this agreement or are we going to go ahead with this agreement and put something forward it was really as clear-cut as that however um uh, i think you've also got to take into consideration part you know party politics so people um voting for um it wasn't just about party it was people actually voting for more for brexit so you have people also that may have been labor voters or swing voters that have now gone saying i'm a i'm a brexit voter so it's so complicated because you have the brexit argument you have the party politics argument and they're kind of both kind of opposing each other to some degree so um even to the fact that there's infighting within the parties about the leavers and remainers so it's not like uh, the conservatives are just a a, a leave uh, group no there there's a, a large proportion of them that are also remainers Right, so it was incredibly complicated, and and to be honest, everyone was sick of hearing about Brexit. And to be honest, I think probably most people just went, Do you know what, I'm just going to vote for the Tories just to get just to so talk about something else. Okay, okay. Well, that is, and, and you know what, that's that, that's good to know. You know, I've I've had I've had plenty of assumptions. I just never had any basis for my assumptions. That's that's good to hear somebody's take on it that is in the middle of it. Um, okay, yeah. Now I, I I promise I get off politics and I will. Um, so uh, you know we we already uh, know because uh, because uh, you accommodate uh, us Yanks to uh, do podcasting that you're a bit more of a night owl. Um, are you somebody that also will, that uh, decides, okay, it's midnight snack time? It's always midnight snack time. I actually have got a midnight snack across the, the room for me. I've got some kind of Danish thing. I'm thinking I might I might tuck into that later. So yeah, it's always always time for snack. Night owls, you need, you need to have your, need to have your Energy drinks if you're going to do a late one like I did last night. I did a 3 a.m. last night because um, I'm currently writing a uh, finishing off my uh, I'm doing like a final part to my OPSEC series. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I was doing a really late night last night, but I still up early. Um, and then I'm like tonight after this, I might I might still do like another half an hour hour. So bedtime for me is, is usually usually during the week. It's probably a 1 a.m possibly 2 a.m and then and then i'll be up at like seven if i get four hours sleep i'm good generally so there's always a bit of time for snack in the evening okay well what's what's the absolute ideal midnight snack if you if you had your choice of anything see for me it's always going to be ideal it's going to be pizza and that's not really a snack that's a meal but if i'm really hungry and i'm working through it's gonna be pizza if i can't get pizza uh, it's going to be something like a Danish or a like some kind of pastry or something like that. 
Uh, I may get healthy one day. I might do like bananas. Bananas are good because the potassium keeps you going for energy. Um, but yeah, they're the kind of they're kind of the staples really for, for for midnight snacks, right? If you're if you're feeling particularly hungry. Okay. Well, well then, uh, then uh, diving down that pizza rabbit hole, what's the, what's the absolute favorite pizza? So, um, to me, it's like a I got a bit of a thing for like chicken barbecue chicken pizzas are usually pretty good, right? So, a bit of a barbecue base, a bit different, right? Bit of chicken, some peppers, some onions, and then lots of chili on top. That's that's like a that's a win right there. No pineapple. Okay. No pineapple. We don't. <laughs> I, I had somebody tell me the one time that I tried pineapple. They're like, you don't have it with anything but ham. That's that's what it's designed for. And I, I had it with more than uh, with more than ham on the pizza, but it it actually wasn't half bad. I I've, I railed against pineapple on pizza for so long, and then I finally tried it. I'm like, okay, I'm not against this. <laughs> not bad so so I, i've had pizza with like um so ham uh olives peppers pineapple and then like riquito peppers a sweet kind of spicy peppers mm. and that's that's quite nice you got a bit of salty you got a bit of sweet with the uh the riquito peppers and a bit of bit of uh, to cut through that you've got the pineapple with a bit of you know sour, bit of sour actually it's quite nice okay um Stay, staying on the food because I because I know that uh, this is this is often a subject of um, jokes, maybe ridicule, depending on uh, who you're talking to. Uh, but people that are not in the UK, um, is there any traditional British food that you just refuse to eat? Yeah. Um... For me, for me, um, so oh god, what is it? Um, so, so a lot of people, a lot of people don't like black pudding, um, and, and I'm not a huge fan of, of black pudding, to be honest. I'll, I'll eat it if it's there, if it's on a plate. Black pudding for me, though. Do you know what black pudding is? Um, I've probably seen something about how it's made at one point, but it's it, it's been a while. Yeah, so black pudding's a bit like it, but it's like blood that's been mixed with like meal and stuff like that. It's lovely. Yeah. Okay. Like, a bit like I think they call it like blood sausage in other countries and stuff like that. Blood sausage. But, yeah. 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 Um, ha- however, uh, the the one for me that I'm not a huge fan of is is, is haggis. Um, I've got Scottish origins. Like I'm, my mother's like Scottish, so uh, and 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 sort of white pudding and haggis for me are the things really. Not really English, the British, Scottish, really, but but they're the things I'm like, no, no, no. I just, I, I, I used to like it, and I'm just like, what am I actually eating here? And the more you kind of read into it, you're like, it's just like the stuff that you throw away, and then you just put in, and the Scottish like, no, 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 we, no, we, no, we, no, we use, we don't, we don't waste anything. That's it. It's all going in. Yeah, you know, and that's kind of, yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's, 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 it's not nice. Um, I can't think of anything else that's inherently British because we've kind of lost a lot of our national dishes. Um, we're so cosmopolitan now and so internationally accepting that we adopt other people's dishes. Um, so, like curry, I, I don't know how. I can't even begin to count how many people, whenever they, whenever the you know subject comes up about food in the UK, that they talk about curry. Mm. 
Curry's like a national national treasure. Right? Oh, uh, a- a- absolutely. But uh, but Curry was also was also uh, sourced from the empire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Must be so. Yeah. In fact, in fact, if you look at a lot of the traditional Indian dishes, they they are usually more dry. And, and, you know, the, so the curry bit was like, you know, the gravy bit that they created for us because to, to deal with our palates at the time, very, very kind of bland palates that we had um, with our, you know, our scurvy ridden uh, <laughs> empire soldiers and sailors and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, uh, and so, you know, and we've obviously brought that back because it's like, well, this is quite tasty. Um, when actually, really, there were, there were like probably the, the dishes they gave to their kids or something like that. Um, uh, and I think you know, but but if you look at the curry houses in this country, I mean, I I I, would, I love it. If you if you if we're going out Thai Thai or or a curry for me, I like yeah, that's that's a good go out for a few beers, uh, and then you know well, let's go for a curry. That's 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 a good night for me, right? That's a that's a that's a, that's a good evening, um, if you yeah if you, if you can do it. And and then of course there's curry, and then there's curry, right? So that you can have like your kind of. You, you kind of find your good curry houses and then like we have this thing where i'll have like the the national dish at one point many years ago was chicken tikka masala that was the national dish which is it's actually a lovely curry but for me it's a bit bland so i always go to a curry house and say i'll have chicken tikka masala but i'll have it like vindaloo or fowl which is the hottest you can have hot so it's tasty but it's really spicy and so they'll always over, they'll always make it really hot, and it's actually quite nice then. So you can't because a lot of the if you go for like a vindaloo, it's just really hot. There's no real taste to it. Or if you go like for a fowl, you probably won't be able to taste anything anyway because it's so hot. And so it's just like eh, you know, go sweet. It's a bit tasty and does blow your head off. It kind of it's a kind of it's a good trade off, I think, really. Okay. Okay. Um... And then, okay, well, since we're talking food, I've got to ask this one because this one gets the most chuckles because people don't understand it. What is spotted dick? Ah, <laughs> yes, it is not what you think it is. It's a sponge with sultanas in it. Um, so it's a, like a sponge cake uh, with sultanas, and it's generally had with custard. Um, and it's actually quite tasty. Um, yeah, it's pretty nice. But yeah, it's um, it's not even in usually. It's not really even in a um, slightly rude shaped object either. It's just <laughs> it's just it's just it's just cake. Like, but it's uh, usually have it warm. It's usually warm, and it's usually with custard. It's quite nice. So it sounds almost like the English version of tiramisu. Yeah. You- it's, it may be a, that may be a stretch. I get it. Uh, well, tir- tiramisu's got the, you know the sponge you get at the bottom. It's it's more it's more like a cake than the sponge. Sponge is like a like a you know, sort of softer cake rather than like the hard cake. The harder cake you get, so it's like a, it's quite nice. Um, but it's it's quite light and fluffy as well. So it's not like a um, it's not so it's not so kind of heavy as you get at the bottom of a tiramisu. But yeah, you're probably quite right. It's fairly similar, I guess, in that sense. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So moving on to official question number seven. Um, let's go for another future prediction here. Uh, what, what industry do you think will have the biggest, most talked about breach in 2020? Mm. Mm. 
a tough one, isn't it? Because um, it's really hard. I mean, if you look at all the companies that have been breached recently, uh, are we talking about we're talking about data breach? Are we not talking about ransomware? Talking about a data breach. See, I, I for me, I, I, I'm gonna say it's gonna for me. I, I it's only a matter of time before we see. Um, a real significant breach. I'm talking a massive breach in something like like an Amazon or a uh, or or a, a similar ilk company. If you look at like um, obviously Bezos being targeted, um, you know his phone was targeted, but what else was targeted? What other information did they gather? What other stuff would they actually do with that knowledge of that? You know, I'm sure his phone didn't have all his passwords and anything like that. There was information was specifically targeted against, but I, I could see a company of that ilk, that size, you know, not a Google or something like that, maybe a Google, but a, a company of that kind of thing. So e-commerce, um, something pretty significant. I think they'll they'll, they'll certainly be, um, uh, I, I think, something quite significant in that space, uh, because that would have to be that would be the most talked about um, breach because another bank getting breached, another, you know data mining company getting breached you know it's it's it will get lost in the noise it's 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 talk of the day right it's not talk of the month it's talk of the day so to get the most talked about story it would have to be another equifax type thing it'd have to be significant have massive impact to um uh, people so it'd have to be something that's consumer focused because that usually gets the big the big noise it'd have to be something that um would be in the hundreds of millions of records or something that was so um so damaging the the, the the data that was taken was so damaging um that it would cause that so it would definitely be consumer focused it would definitely be something e-commerce um and i i think it's going to be pretty big if it were to happen at all um like i said because we just don't know i mean we know as you know everyone talks this podcast about these type of things you you can't the only thing you 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 can't really predict is 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 when you're going to get breached but one thing you can probably talk about is um uh sorry the, the, the but you know that you will get breached at some point in some degree okay um and you know it's it's but, but but kind of to kind of contradict myself a little bit um i will say that you know a, a lot of the times um it's the it's the human error side that really gets punished so if you look at the controls that a lot of companies have at that scale they're they're relying on automation they're relying on um they're relying on i'm not going to use any buzzwords but they're relying on a lot more automation they've got a lot more visibility than they used to have um they've got teams that are, that are hunting a lot of times they're doing red teaming you know they're, they're actually really kind of moving into the kind of purple teaming elements as well so they're training their blue teams on, on and how to look for what what bad looks like and actually how to hunt for it so there's a lot more maturity in those companies but at the same time, if you look at like Capital One, for example, it's the supply chain that gets you right. So it's the it's the fact you've got a contractor doing something they shouldn't do, or they've identified a configuration issue, no one's reported it, and therefore that's where you get that's where it's going to happen. It's going to be a third party somewhere in the chain that's going to affect one of these companies that's going to have a massive impact. That's going to allow an attacker in and allow an attacker to use those credentials or to use that route or that access that was given. Um, and I see this quite a lot. In, in my work as well it's always the third parties it's you know direct breaches yes you might have good controls you might have your you know edr endpoint you know sort of type stuff um you might have really you might have security operations center and you might have a third party that has some form of access to the network and it's expected right because no one's actually looking at that access no one's auditing that access so if that company gets breached 
it's a route direct in and it's the, it's the way i've seen it so many times third party has done some work they've left something open they forgot to close it off attacker finds it they're in um and, and they're in and they're in there for a while because it's oh they're just still doing some work or oh they're doing some more maintenance and no one really questions it and that's that's the thing for me it's, it's the I, i'm going off on a tangent here sorry uh but okay. the, the, the thing for me is is um the communication as well you know, I've been involved in a lot of incidents um, where I've been the incident manager or the person coordinating the incident for, for our company, where I'm brought in to kind of sit there and go, well, okay, let's look at this incident. You've got your technical teams doing the work. How are you coordinating it? How are you communicating? Why didn't someone communicate this small issue over here? You're focusing on a small issue over here. Have you asked the rest of the business in their particular departments, have they seen what this is have you seen these unusual logs in your systems you're just focusing on this one product this one area here and actually it could be happening all over your business and you're not talking to each other and and this is where things break down it's people focus on their fiefdoms and they say well if it's happening to me i need to fix it and the other person is thinking well it's not happening to me so i don't have to worry about it i can just carry on my day job until this is resolved and this is it's it's, it, it's where i think things will hopefully start changing but to answer your question in terms of my prediction, which I very accurately dodged, um, a big, I think e-commerce, I think e-commerce is very broad and therefore I, I reckon that will be right. So there you go. Hey, that, 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 that makes sense. Um, you know, that, that's, that's the same kind of logic. Like, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many years I've heard, heard people say, get a Mac. It, you, you can't get viruses. I'm just like, you don't understand if enough of you get a Mac, you're going to start getting viruses and you're going to make my life hell then. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. It, then Macs it, have vulnerabilities, right? So, yeah, oh, you know, yeah. Macs have a lot of vulnerabilities, right? And, and, and it's just attackers finding, you know, that, oh, you're running this outdated, you know, uh, Mac, Mac OS. Um, and, oh, you, you, okay, it's updated. Maybe that's great. Maybe it hasn't updated. Um, you know, maybe maybe um, there is a there is a, a vulnerability that allows an attacker to get on because you haven't got any additional controls because it's a Mac, right? Um, there's always things, right? And and yeah, you're absolutely right. You're probably less likely to get attacked with the Mac than you are Windows 10. But then actually, Windows 10 has improved security quite a lot. And so yes, um, it's not it's not a level playing field by any stretch of the imagination. Windows has a ton of vulnerabilities always, but but Microsoft have got better at hardening. And um, if you look at, um, if you just look at like uh, uh, Azure and uh, all the security center stuff you get bundled into your Azure packages uh, and you can start onboarding your your actual on-premise stuff into security center and with Azure, you get visibility, you can see stuff, right? You can see those endpoints, you can see those servers being hit, you can see stuff. I'm not saying I'm pro Azure, you can do the same with AWS, but it's just easier, right, with, with Azure. And it's, so Microsoft are trying to build security into everything they do. Do they get it right? Of course they don't. But they're making it easier for companies to start seeing shit that's going wrong and know that there's an issue in their network and they can do something about it before it becomes a bigger issue. Whereas before, they'd be like, oh, that machine's acting funny or that machine's seems to be calling out to this IP over here. Why didn't we see that? Why are we, why are we now seeing data being moved across the network or why are we seeing uh, that machine connecting to all these services never had whereas before they could see there's an issue they can try and address it before that yes the attacker may be on the machine but the time they're on the machine is a lot less and that's the issue is time right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, did, did you see the uh, Did you see the news about the uh, Windows 10X? It's coming out for uh, if for the like the foldable devices and multi-screen devices. Mm, mm. Hey, you see, you talking about some of that stuff. It was making me think about that because a lot of what I was reading uh, about that is saying that. Uh, is saying that uh, one of the big things with uh, that is that basically everything is going to launch containerized, so that way it, that way it limits the attack surface of anything malicious. Which is great, right? It's what. Yeah. what? Uh, I mean, I I um. So when I do like an investigation, so I was doing some stuff today with an organization, and although I'm I'm not. You know, my my role is quite split between the blue the blue and the the, the kind of red side, right? So I, I kind of spent a lot of time just this last couple of months doing a bit more blue team type stuff. I'm sitting with an organisation and we're going through like their um, endpoint protection and going through all their kind of controls they've got and how they can look at incidents. And I was just like using um, sort, of, uh, sort of containers and looking at how they're using containers and Kubernetes and Docker and all these kind of great things, right? And how they're spinning up environments. And, and you kind of go, that's great. And and now there's um, like browser isolation software that I use. Um, I'm not going to plug any particular names because I don't do that kind of stuff. But I, I, one, of, one of my friends actually runs a browser isolation company and I've got like a license for it for free. So when I'm doing any kind of malware investigation, I can literally go, right, well, this is a malicious domain here. Let's go log on to that. Let's go look at that domain through browser isolation. We can see what attacks are running. I don't have to, I have, it can't get to my machine. It's completely isolated. So now I'm, now I can show them, well, this is actually what was happening. Yes, you can see these processes are running, but you can actually now see what it was trying to download, what it was trying to do, how it was trying to do it. Um, and it's that kind of, it's that kind of approach that kind of restricts if you're spinning everything up in like a like I said like a micro container or you know everything's a mm -hmm. container so yes you can basically air gap everything on your machine and air gap these kind of bits over here so you're then actually kind of you know limiting what an attacker can do yes they may be able to get access to that one con container but they're going to struggle to get out of it they're going to have to um Prevest to get out and all that kind of stuff, which is going to be a bit harder. Um, and you're going to make it a bit, you know, it's going to be quite noisy. So therefore, there's a high chance of it being detected. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how how that uh, all goes down as it gets released and everything. Um. So question number eight: uh, what What would you say is the worst uh, the, the the worst uh, network breach incident that you've ever personally seen and like you know like uh you know most egregious uh type type stuff that you know maybe maybe it was a maybe it was opsec related maybe it wasn't uh yeah what's what's the worst you've seen okay i can talk about i can't mention company names of course of course of course but so so my biggest breach that i personally responded to which also happens to be one of the worst I've seen um, that luckily didn't make the news, which is quite nice um, because there were lots of stuff happening at the same time. So obviously everyone knows about WannaCry. It's um, kind of a real famous uh, kind of attack. And then NotPetya, which is still a lot of people known to be the still to be the most expensive cyber attack, I think, costs companies more than, than any other breach, I think. 
um, for, for me, I had a, a very large company that was hit by NotPetya. And in fact, um, and, and they were probably the first or one of the first companies to be hit by NotPetya. Um, and when I was um, and just by chance, I was in the US uh, on, on doing some, some business and this company had signed our instant response contract uh, and the ink hadn't even dried. It was like that fresh. And it's like, oh, we're invoking this right now. And I got a phone call literally from my colleague who was triaging this right, and going, we need to get Stu on a call. I was like, okay, or this sounds bad. I'm getting a call at like, I literally landed. The plane had landed. I was literally getting into a taxi and the phone rang. And I was like, oh, it's, it's late. What could this possibly be? So I answered it and there's like, uh, Stu, can you jump on a call? I was like, yeah, yeah okay, why? You know, it's like like one in the morning or something like that. There's uh, there's been a cyber attack and they're quite panicking and it seems to be spreading. I was like, okay, sounds probably like ransomware. And it's like, yeah, but it's not like normal ransomware. I was like, oh, okay, right. It's probably, they're probably like not patched, like, uh, you know, um, Eternal Blue and, and there's probably just some like remnants of some kind of follow-on attack from WannaCry or something like that that maybe spun up. So I thought, right, okay, well, we'll I'll get on a call. So I'm speaking to the, the, the end user and the CISO, and he's like, so just tell me what's happening. And he's like, we're seeing computers switch off. And I was like, right, what do you mean by that? They're getting a ransom message. Yes, okay, well, can you, like, send me a file? I'll identify it quickly. Um, obviously, while I'm doing that, can you just contain your network, basically disconnect your NICs and all this kind of stuff, and just, just contain what you can? It's like... Yeah, we can't get to the, the controllers because they're all offline. We can't get on there because the systems we used to jump onto those servers, we can't get to. I was like, right, okay, so can you get to a cabinet? Can you get to your guys to a data center? Can you tell the offices that haven't been affected that might be able to remote to this stuff? Yeah, 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 we're doing that. And I was like, right, okay. Anyway, long story short, they start containing stuff. And I, and I, and I was like, right, well, just show me, just show me, like, you know, send me the file or send me. The, they said, I can't send you the file. I was like, well, what do you mean? I can't access my PC. It's literally, I can send you a, a photo of my machine with the ransom message that would that help? I said, what do you mean you can't? And he's like, I said, just dial back a couple of bits. Did the machine, did you reboot your machine? He's like, no. Okay. Did anything happen to your machine before the ransom message popped up? Yes, it rebooted. Oh, okay. So it did reboot. He's like, yeah. And did anything happen? Uh, any boot processes? No, just the ransom message. And I said, right. Well, look, for some strange reason, I was I've been researching for years um, Petcha um, because it was uh, ransomware as a service, and it was quite popular. And it was very focused on the obviously the boot, the master boot file records and the boot tables and all this kind of stuff, right? So, um, and it was very unique in, in its kind of as being a booter kind of ransomware, and. Um, so I kind of went, this sounds like Petra, but, but Petra doesn't spread. It's isolated to um, you click on a link or you um, you open a document and it runs a process then. It doesn't spread. It's not designed to do that. You'd have to have another element to spread it across the network. There must be something else happening here. So did you click a phishing link? Your CSA, I'm assuming you didn't, but did you click anything? No. Is anyone else click anything? This is affecting every company. I'm literally watching machines switch off across the room he's saying to me so i'm like god this sounds bad right okay you've got a sock no socks offline you 
you got and literally he said i can just see like countries going offline and they, these guys operate 120 odd countries whatever it is right like literally 120 locations it's just like we're seeing stuff go offline so basically i'm like well you need to disconnect what you can so we managed to actually save like a third of their network right which is, which is quite good given they had 10,000 servers and umpteen amount 10,000 servers by the way that's a lot of servers to rebuild and an umpteen amount of um pcs like god knows how many that have been affected and so i'm like right well i'll get on to this so i basically reached out and this is, bearing in mind i looked on twitter i looked on all the malware forums i'm part of all of the kind of research groups i'm part of and i'm just saying has anyone seen anything like this They're like no no so I said, it must be isolated so i kept watching the news and i kept it and said no one's talking about this but this has to be outside this this isn't just isolated to these guys something like this this is spreading this is like wanna cry 2.0 or something like that so i'm like right okay we've isolated um what we can um we now need to contain like what the we don't know how it's spreading we have to assume it's on the network somewhere we have to assume that there's a third party component or something has gone into the network and it's deployed this and is now just sending it from one machine or one location it's self-replicating somehow um so we have to basically kind of disconnect the offices basically locally each office has to disconnect so it can't spread any further until we can isolate it and um the dam in um in a in uh, the Amsterdam uh, Port Authority had been hit by it, and they were the first to come out on Twitter. They just came out and said, "Some unusual ransomware, never seen it before." Um, then it started spreading, and other people then started coming out. And I was like, "God, this is like like four hours, four and a half hours, five hours after that I'd seen this, maybe longer." I'm like, "God." So I spoke to somebody, and Michael Gillespie, who was part of um, uh, Malware Hunter team, I said. I've got this screenshot as well. It's amazing, right? I, before it was called not Petcher, I said it's like Petcher, but it's not Petcher, right? Don't say I coined the phrase, but it's just irony. This cat. I've got the screenshot, the time time stamped as well. It's like if you see anything, he said, "Oh, there's not see anything." And then like he came back to me and said, "Oh, a couple of people have asked me the same question. It sounds like um, it's using Eternal Blue or something." I said, well, "It's not because." Um, this company is fully patched against Eternal Blue. It's fully patched against Double Pulse. It's fully patched in, like, literally there's not, all the machines were forced updated through SSCM. Done. Of course, SSCM's down, right? So they can't push anything out, right? So I'm like, God, all right, okay. So basically we had to, like, bear in mind, email's gone. They've got, they've got on-prem exchange. You've got no email, so you can't push out a message. Their crisis comms platform was on a virtual machine that was supposed to be isolated. Um, but that was gone because it wasn't isolated. Um, so basically, we found out, long story short, um, that I basically turned around to and said, right, well, you've got no method of pushing, pushing out a fresh image to your machines, right? You could build SSCM, but we don't know the factor it's spreading. So the basic was, you've got to rebuild every machine. And the only way to rebuild every machine is to create a gold image, okay, or a bronze image in this case. Um, and you now need to go and deploy that to every single machine so we had to i took them through a step by step process of she needs to be wiped factory settings basically wiped re-imaged every machine install this new image and they had no anti-malware because their anti-malware provider was down right they couldn't push out the updates because ctm couldn't push a new update to each machine so um they had no anti-malware for five six weeks maybe they had um no 
CM for a long time. Um, so they had, uh, we managed to get Microsoft to help us because without giving away what they did, Microsoft were, they were quite important to Microsoft for some reason that I can't really explain without giving who they do, but it involved people possibly not getting paid. Um, so there was a whole kind of like, oh, we need to migrate these people to 365. And they had a six month plan project to get everyone moved to 365 and exchange 365. And we got the whole company migrated and archived emails that we managed to get hold of done in five days. Um, it was like like that. It was like, oh, that's really interesting. Um, and, and it just really kind of escalated from there. And then, so basically the sales in like, we, we stuck everything into a Google Drive and people could then download the image um, onto onto a safe machine and then use USB sticks to go basically re-image the machines and reboot the machines. Um, 10,000 machines were manually rebuilt. Um, we had teams of people literally everywhere rebuilding stuff. Bearing in mind, whole crisis comms was done on WhatsApp. So we had, uh, we had a gold command group, which was made up of the execs and myself. We had a security group that was made up of myself and all the technical people part of that group. We then had regional groups. So we had like the Asia Pacific group. We had like the European group. We had the um, South African group and then the North American. And we basically did everything over WhatsApp the whole crisis comes because there was no email for the, at least for the first couple of days. And then of course, what happened was then I was given a mailbox and said, right, every single email that comes in, you need to now check if it's a phishing email or not, because we've got no way of detecting it's a phishing email. So basically I sat there and went, every, there's a phishing, we created a phishing out of this company's name. And then every, every email that came in when we had email back online was like, is this a phishing email? Oh, it's fine. Our even crisis comms that we sent out was reported 255 times as a phishing email. So when you talk about the benefits of uh, of, um, of of a cyber attack of this scale, you also got to take into account everyone's in a heightened state of alert because this could happen again. We even had one instance where one of the Windows 10 machines was um, in in a state where it was uh, it hadn't fully rebooted. So um, somebody put machine back on the network we managed to find a, a way to patch we knew what files it was overwriting we found a way that it was overwriting these folders and files because basically we tried to reverse what it was doing uh, and we worked it worked out it was reversing it was uh, writing to this file overwriting it and then running a process and the process it would run would be uh, it would be ps exec um, or um, wic a powershell script and then a scheduled task the scheduled task basically would be uh, once it infected the machines it would then create a scheduled task to force reboot the machine um, after an hour. So that's why it was delayed. So it run that Mimikatz, grab the passwords from the machine or any, and then use those passwords to spread, spread it across. What we didn't realize is that the machine it landed in on the first place, which was this came through ME Docs, which is the tax counting software in uh, uh, Ukraine where the uh, inverted commas Russians attacked. Um, They'd um, and put in and attacked the, the, the software and used to create a malicious update with this package. So every one of the customers got got the malware package right through a software update. It hit the hit the server, um, and because the um, the Ukrainian office wasn't isolated from the rest of the network, and the network actually technically was quite flat, um, it basically had an admin credentials, and that admin credential was essentially had enough to propagate through the whole network. So um, 
it wasn't domain admin, but pretty much because there wasn't a, a separate, it was all in the same domain, essentially. It just propagated through and infected all those machines. So it took about nine to 10 weeks to get some services back online, three and a half months to get the business back to an order where things were pretty normal. Um, so if you talk about no sleep, for the first week I managed to get an average of 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there, whilst in the US, bear in mind, um, I was constantly on calls, constantly directing stuff. I wrote their crisis comm statement, um, which got published. Um, I did like customer meetings. I was on customer meetings with them to talk through what I was doing. I wrote the instant response recovery plan um, in terms of timelines. It was updated like literally hourly almost. Um, it was insane. Like nothing you've ever experienced in your life. You think, oh, perfect storm. And if you think about, and, and this is why people talk about TravelX, for example, um, what they're going through at the moment, everyone's like, oh, they're still down. I have complete empathy with anyone going through that because until you've been through it, until you've actually had a kind of world ending kind of cyber attack, as I call it, because a major attack doesn't cover it. It's fucking perfect storm, pardon my French. Uh, it is like the thing that you just never expect. You never know it's going to happen. And it's your collateral damage because you're not the intended target, but you've got to pick up all the pieces, right? Um, and, and so the TravelX situation, although this, they were targeted, um, they're still going through that massive recovery exercise because it's so damaging. Um, and, and actually, if you look at not Petra, it's not so bad because if you just you can rebuild those machines, right? They're nuked. There's no basically OS is dead, right? Um, backups. They didn't really affect backups too much. You'd encrypt like the first like you know um, 500 gig of, of data, but it was like it was junk. You could just they have good backups. The backups weren't affected. So actually, the recovery effort was more just got to rebuild chip, and and that was it. It was a it was a rebuild, and how quickly can we rebuild? Whereas, you know, if, you, if your data's gone and you've got no backups, that's a real difficult situation you face, right? You've got the you've got that kind of quandary of, do I pay the ransom or do I not pay the ransom and try and work out how I can, what, what I can justify to sign off losing data? It's a real difficult discussion. Um, hence why when, when people go into organizations, you, you say, I've been through the, the mud. I've been through the situation with lots of companies with ransomware that have been hit significantly, not just your automated ransomware, where attackers be on the network and they've dropped ransomware, they've trashed your backups. And you sit there and you look the CEO in the eyes and you say, look, I, I can tell you, you will not be back online, regardless whether you pay the ransom or not, which I recommend you don't. You explore every single avenue you can. You recover data from shadow copies. You see what you can do. You go to a data recovery specialist and see if you can cover it. Yes, you pay the ransom, maybe. The ransom may be 50000 or 100000 and it may cost you three times as more than that to, to actually recover. But what if you pay that money and it doesn't work? What if there's a back door included in that and you're just exposed and they're selling access to your network because you think you've recovered and you've got no way of actually checking because you run this software and usually the software is backdoored anyway. You run it in a virtual environment. You can see the processes it's running. So you know, there is a real kind of quandary you've got to go through. You want to say you will not recover fast. If you think it's going to be a week, push that out by four. If you think it's going to be four weeks, push it out to six. Just push it out. And if you can bring it forward, great. It's a small win. But don't set yourself up for a fall. And that's the advice I give to people. Say so you will help companies can recover. There's only so much you can do. But ultimately, um, if your backups are trashed and that's your only mechanism of backups, you don't have offline backups. You don't have 
other site backups you don't have, whatever it may be, you know, what are you prepared to lose and what risks are you prepared to take? And that's kind of the, the real world discussions. Yeah, and that, that's that's absolutely legit right there. I mean, I've, uh, I'm I'm involved in a net, uh, network in my day job that uh, maintains PCI compliance, and I know the rules in there with with backups is that is that you have to have offsite backups. It, it, no no ifs ands or buts about it that to to maintain compliance. So you have to have it. Absolutely, but you know a lot of people have offsite backups, right? And those backups are still mapped to the network. So, mm -hmm. so admin credential, there's a job that runs and they can see that job and they can actually capture that service account. They can basically have access to your backups, right? So there is like, uh, when I say offline backups, I'm saying you take that backup, you do it old school, right? You just take it and then you back it up somewhere else and you have that in cold storage somewhere, right? Emergency backup, you do that once a month. You lose a month's worth of data. That is a damn sight better than losing all your data. Or you lose a week's mm -hmm. worth of data, whatever it may be, you have an emergency backup that you just have somewhere that is off network, is air gapped, you cannot get to it, whatever it may be. I know it's difficult to do that, terabytes of data, but or a cloud backup, you stick everything in Azure. It's Azure's problem at that point, right? They've got an SLA, they'll back up your data, you have backups your data, but they have a 30 days backup of your data rolling, whatever it may be. So, you know, you, there's ways of mitigating it. Um, yeah. You could just basically split up the environment immediately, right? But when it's on prem, when it's on your network, it's a lot more difficult. Indeed, indeed, absolutely. So I, I, I'm waffling here. I'm sorry. You probably oh, want no, to that's no, that, that, that's, that, that's fine. I, I, I'm, I'm thoroughly interested in what you're saying. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, I have guesses of, uh, I, I, I've heard stories of. Uh, of uh, incidents that that sounds similar to. I may, maybe I'll ask you a question whenever we get done recording. Um, in the meantime, uh, incident cost roughly. If you want to know yeah. the actual the final total, um, obviously I'll I'll change the figure slightly so I'm not giving away. It wasn't anywhere near the Maersk, which was I think like 600 million or something like that. But it was it was in the hundreds of millions. Okay. The cost. That's the, the initial cost, and then the um, what I what I would not be aware of is the contractual obligation cost, service cost. But you can you can estimate that's tens millions more, maybe another hundred million, right there. Yeah, everyone, when everyone talks about the cost for breach, right? What most people talk about is um, like the initial cost. So like lost business, or maybe there's the financial cost of not being able to trade. There's the the cost of recovery, so the resources used, the external third parties, the all those kind of things. Everyone looks at share price, right? If you look at Equifax's share price, it dipped and it's now higher than it was when they when they you know before they had their breach, right? Share price has changed. People get confidence back in companies. They put new things in place. Actually, a breach is sometimes a good thing, right? If they handle it well, Equifax didn't handle it well. They got fined massively, but their share price is still doing really well. It doesn't always translate to revenue or lost revenue or profit, right? It has a it has a correlation, of course, but you know that you can't just base um, a cost for breach based on share price because those things change over time and you recover that. What you don't recover is confidence. You don't recover lost business. You don't recover um, you don't recover contracts you lost or you don't recover um, 
the projects that you had planned and now pushed out by 12 months so that work you're doing on streamlining this process to make more money is now actually being pushed on the back burner there's all those kind of things that have a knock-on effect that doesn't really get calculated you can't it's like the intangible cost i call it of a breach right um you know you might have it could be a whole range of things right and, and i think that's the key also you have the extreme circumstances where that um one company in the u.s company the name of the company actually went out of business because of a a, a, a ransomware attack right and and so yes they are incredibly rare and they are incredibly like unusual situations but that is like your kind of ultimate kind of gambit from an attacker they go out of business that's probably not the best interest for an attacker to take them out of business because they can't get money out of them again so it's not always the best way of doing it so but yeah anyway I, i'm waffling again it's probably because it's like one in the morning um yeah, no, you, you, you mentioned what I what I was going to. So I, I was thinking of that company that went out of business and it just, it, it's, uh, it, it's uh, you know, those attacks that hit those smaller companies that don't have, it don't have the disaster recovery in place, don't have uh, their backups being done properly or anything like that. It's like, yeah, an attack like that can take a company down for good. So. And it has, right? It's, it's, yeah. uh, we always talked about, you know, two years ago, people were talking about um, 2018 or, you know, being the year where a company goes out of business from a cyber attack, a big company, like a big bank. I don't think we're anywhere near that. I think there are some companies that are too big to fail. I think I think TravelX, right? Again, not going back to them, but they, they, they have withstood that. You know, they put, you know, people doing transactions on paper. That's fine, right? Um, you kind of have, you know, there are contingencies these big companies will have for those kind of incidents. Yeah, it's not great and it's not ideal, but they'll still make, they'll still come out of it the other side. They, you know, there will still be a business there. They will still trade and they've got their systems back online, most of them now. So, yeah, even though that's a you know, perfect storm, um, they're still weathered that storm. They have still come out with some infrastructure left with a business and they'll still continue to trade. Um, to which capacity, to what capacity, to what level of confidence, that remains to be seen, but the point is they still have come out of it. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Um, okay, moving on to question nine. Um, what was, diving away from tech again, what was your uh, favorite band whenever you were in high school? Mm. So for me, um, I, I've always liked... Um, uh, Likewise, a couple really. So, so one side, um, I was a big fan of um, the Happy Mondays. Okay. Um, but also um, Jamiroquai, uh, big fan of Jamiroquai or Offspring as well. Bit of a mixed, bit of a mixed kind of. I really have a favourite. I just, I, I'm a bit of a, 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 a bit weird with my music taste. I like a lot of different genres. I'll just my Spotify is like. I think I, I actually break the algorithm for Spotify for like the daily mix and the, the kind of discover weekly type stuff because it's just so mixed. I listen to so many different types of things. I'll get like a David Bowie track dropped into a middle between a couple of EDM type stuff. And like it, it's very, very broad, very, very weird music taste. So I don't didn't really have like a single band that I like. I would just go for songs that I like. I'd go for stuff that I'd like at the time, something I like the sound of. I'd listen to odd stuff. I used to DJ as well. Um, there's a whole story behind that. Um, but yeah, so 
it's a hard one for me to answer because but like, like there were three like so happy mondays because i'm really into that kind of scene um like hacienda type stuff before it was like you know to, disappeared um and, and then it would be like things like like i said like offspring like a bit of the, the offspring or yeah those kind of bands really um now if you ask me now i couldn't even tell you to be honest so i just i just i just my Spotify is on all the time and it's just random stuff that gets pulled in through an algorithm or I'll just go look at um, like playlists and go, I'll listen to that today. Uh, I, I understand that. It, w- while I'm not venturous enough to uh, go digging into, uh, go, go digging into other things, I, you know, I'll still curate my playlist. If, if you look down my playlist, it's a little bit of everything. Just a little bit of everything, uh, you know. I've got I've got a uh, David Bowie in there. I've got uh, the Stones. I've got uh, Garth Brooks. I've got uh, Nelly. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just because it, because it, I'm I'm the same way. A song speaks to me. It may not be an entire album. It may not be an artist. It may just be the song. I think that's it. It's, it's a song. I think for me. Um, yeah. I think. I think. I think. Also, I think music. Ta- I think music's changed a lot. I think like, like Apple and Apple iTunes and and the way we consume music has, has changed so much that that you can be a, I think a little bit more liberal. Like you can just go, well, I want to listen to this today. And whereas you know, years ago you'd have to go and buy a CD or um, you know you'd have to go and God. You, God forbid, like records and stuff like that. I mean, I still love vinyl, by the way. I still love the sound of vinyl. Something, something kind of very rustic about it, right? You still, you know, get out vinyl and play that. It's, it's a quality sound to it, but you can't quite get sometimes when, you know, listening on iTunes or maybe. Yeah, yeah, I, I got you there. All right, question number 10. Yep. Um, what is both the best and the worst advice that you've ever received? This is a killer question, right? Um, so, so for for me, uh, right, what's the best advice I've given been given? Um, so, so best best advice is um, oh, it's a really, it's a really and this question. I bet everyone goes start, it's the same as this question, right? Because or maybe not. Maybe it's just me. Um, so much advice. If it I'll makes go, you feel I'll, any better, I'll, I've I've had the gambit of people that know right away what to answer on this, versus people that are that struggle with deciding the answer, just like you are right now. I think it's also because it's like one thirty-five in the morning. My brain, my cogs are turning. I mean, so 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 actually, for there was a um, I was given some like terrible management advice years ago um and and for all the right reasons right so so i I used to run quite a large office of people when i was doing my recruitment gig um and uh i was given this advice like about management right and i had my way of doing things my way was like you know i i just want people and i want people to kind of come talk and, and kind of be open and in, encourage people empower people and 
just like really kind of get behind them and mentor them. And I still do that now. I'm very much mentoring rather than management, right? I'd rather give someone the tools and the training and all that kind of stuff. And I was kind of given this advice and it was, it's not really related to InfoSec, but it kind of is kind of an interesting kind of gambit on this, right? So like the, the, the advice was like, if you want to manage someone, the, the methodology for doing it is kind of ask, suggest, tell, right? And there's kind of method behind it. So when someone comes to you, um, you they go uh, ask a question and you go like, oh, how would I go and do this? And you go, well, how do you think you should do it? Right. And if they then can't answer that question, then you kind of suggest, well, have you thought about doing it this way? And then then if they still don't get it, then you tell them to what to do. Right. And if you have to do bad advice. But the bad bit was like, if you have to tell somebody three times or the same thing three times, they probably don't get it and you should fire them. And I was just like, not really going to take that advice. I'm just going to stick to what I do. I'll do the ask, suggest, tell bit, maybe. The ask, suggest, and I'll just really make the suggestions quite open. You can probably get it. Um, and, and for me, that kind of restricted people. And I was kind of like, well, hang on a second. Maybe they really don't know the answer to the question. Maybe they do need the answer. And actually, maybe that's actually a good thing that you, you, you've got to a point where you've exhausted all the options for them being able to. Maybe it's a genuine question they just don't know the answer to. And, and maybe getting them to think for themselves in that situation is not the right move. Maybe actually saying, oh, actually, it's this. And this is how you would do this. And, and, and this is why you would do it this way, as opposed to trying to get them to think because they've never done that before. So why would you, why would that work? So it seems like a really bad kind of thing, right? Uh, on the, on the, on the other side really is the, the whole um, trust, but verify thing is for me, it's been a really good piece of advice, but, but advice that I give to people today, but I flip on his head. I do verify, but tr then trust or don't really trust, but verify, then verify a bit more. Uh, and then kind of at, at that point you can decide to make a decision. So the, the, the kind of flipping on its head, um, that the verify then kind of make then action really is what I call it, right? Uh, not trust because you, you never really trust because you never really can, right? And, and that's kind of the the advice I give to a lot of people. So if you've got a phishing email, there is a way to verify that, right? So you could call the person you the, the person that sent the email if you have their number. You could send uh, uh, contact through another method, um, either emailing them directly. But there's a risk that their account's been hacked, so they just come back and say, "Hey, this is um." This is fine. This is a phishing campaign we did recently. Actually, it was hilarious. We actually sent out. Uh, we built a, uh, uh, a colleague of mine actually built a um, a payments, uh, not payments, a, a payroll, new payroll system, and you have to you have to sign up to the payroll systems. We've got people's Windows account names and passwords, and some people very cleverly. We we got the brand. We used all the branding templates and guidelines. We've got everything spot on. Right. We even uh, created a domain. The company just one typo in the domain. And then it was like intranet dot company name dot uk whatever it was right it's perfect right perfect um even made it like an intranet as well it was fantastic right and, and so um people started emailing us going is this a scam is this real and we're like no yes this is real we responded back and said yeah this is real this is fine carry on if you don't do it by friday you'll lose access and we won't process your pay you'll be able to process your pay slip and so we got like a 75% sign up rate. And the people that actually, we like literally had this one long conversation with this person for like four or five emails going, no, no, 
oh, it's not working with that um, with that account. Well, why, why don't you try another password and see if that one works? Another password to use. Maybe it's another one that we've got in the system. And then we got another person who tried with then work out. Why don't you try your Gmail account and see if that works? And basically got them to use different accounts because they and they still didn't get it. Amazing. Um, so yeah, but the point is that they they tried to verify, but the verifying didn't work. Right. So you always got to use a different communication method if you're going to do this. So, so I think verify then, then action is kind of my thing. Um, that I kind of developed from someone else kind of going through it. Um, I'm going to go with that because I can't really think of another one at almost two in the morning. So, <laughs> All right. That's how, that sounds good. We'll, we'll go with that. Um, well, that's the end of 10 questions right there. Stu, thank you. I've had a uh, wonderful time conversing with you. Likewise, um, I really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, okay. Hopefully, hopefully in twenty twenty, this will twenty one. Sorry, this will age well. So yeah, this will be fine. Well, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to listening to my predictions and going. None of that happened at all. It'll uh, <laughs> be like France won, or, or actually Wales came through, and everyone else lost, and Wales won it, or something like that. Who knows? But anyway, uh, uh, if anyone is listening, uh, I have uh, yeah. Thank you for. for bearing my uh my 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 ramblings uh but yeah it's uh i have really enjoyed myself though so it's really nice to be a guest is always is, is, a, is a rarity for me so it's quite nice all right well you have yourself a good night <laughs>